This is News Source 1 Mikiana. Welcome to your new afternoon and evening edition of News 2 Go. All the news and feature segments to keep you entertained and enlightened. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Russia's military assault on Ukraine now in its sixth day. A miles-long convoy of Russian tanks and armored vehicles is inching closer now to the Ukrainian capital. And Russian shelling is again pounding civilian targets in Ukraine's second-largest city, Kharkiv, a key target for Vladimir Putin. One after the other, explosions burst through a residential area of the city. In one video verified by the AP, a man pleads with a woman to leave, and another woman cries. Determined for life to go on despite the shelling, hospital workers transferred a Kharkiv maternity ward to a bomb shelter amid makeshift electrical sockets and mattresses piled up against the walls. Pregnant women paced the crowded space, accompanied by the cries of dozens of newborns. I'm Charles Duladesma. Oil prices soaring and investors shifting more money into ultra-safe U.S. government bonds. As Russia steps up its war, the price of oil over $105. A barrel after Russia, a major energy producer, is facing further isolation and economic damage. Also at SRNews.com, President Biden now facing massive political issues ahead of tonight's State of the Union address. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. Topping the list is the economy, and White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the president will not ignore inflation when he addresses the nation this evening. Of course, that is a huge issue on the minds of Americans. In addition to the economy, there's the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing health and political debate stemming from the coronavirus pandemic. Greg Clugston the White House. And on Wall Street, stocks sharply lower now. All three major indexes are down more than 1%. This is SRN News. Religious liberty under siege all around the globe, and that spells trouble. Persecution of Christians and religious freedom in general is the beginning of so many problems. If you don't have the right to decide for yourself what you think and believe, are you really free at all? And it affects so many other human rights. David Curry of Open Doors USA. These are areas in which uh, we're going to have greater problems in the future unless we protect people's rights for religious freedom and freedom uh, of conscience. Persecution, a problem in about two-thirds of the countries on Earth. A South Dakota Senate committee advancing a proposal from Governor Christy Noem that aims to make the state one of the hardest places to get abortion pills. A vote on the Senate floor expected this week. The legislation would require women seeking an abortion to make three separate trips to a doctor in order to receive the abortifacient drugs. This is SRN News. Production will resume on Wednesday at all of Toyota's 14 plants in Japan after they were idle for a day due to a cyber attack on a domestic supplier. Kojima Industries says it found a virus in its computer server and it was investigating. A Toyota spokeswoman said the server problem was not yet resolved, but the two companies had devised alternative ways to operate. Toyota says the physical mechanics of production were not affected by the virus. Correspondent Jeremy House. Target has delivered solid results for the three-month period that included the crucial holiday shopping season. The Minneapolis-based discount retailer reports its fiscal fourth quarter profits rose nearly 12 percent, while sales increased 9.4 percent. 
Target also offered an upbeat annual revenue outlook, joining other major home improvement retailers with strong fourth quarter results. More details at srnews.com. Detailed forecast. Today, mostly cloudy, with a high near 50. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour becoming northwest in the afternoon. Tonight, mostly cloudy, with a low around 29. North wind around 5 miles per hour. Wednesday, partly sunny, with a high near 51. East wind 5 to 10 miles per hour becoming west in the afternoon. Wednesday night, a slight chance of rain before 1 a.m., then a slight chance of snow. Mostly cloudy, with a low around 24. Northwest wind 10 to 15 mph becoming north after midnight. Winds could gust as high as 20 mph. Chance of precipitation is 20%. Thursday. Partly sunny, with a high near 35. Northeast wind 5 to 10 mph. Thursday night. Mostly cloudy, with a low around 26. Friday. Mostly cloudy, with a high near 42. Friday night. A 30% chance of rain, mainly after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around 34. Saturday. Rain likely, mainly after 1 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a high near 56. Chance of precipitation is 70%. Saturday night. Rain, mainly before 1 a.m., low around 43. Chance of precipitation is 90%. Sunday. A 30% chance of rain, partly sunny, with a high near 53. Sunday night. Rain likely. Mostly cloudy, with a low around 35. Chance of precipitation is 60%. Every day the scenes in Ukraine are becoming more horrific. The Russians claim to be only targeting military sites, but tell that to a weeping mother whose bleeding six-year-old daughter was carried into a hospital where she died shortly afterwards. I want to do something a little bit different today as we continue to sample the Psalms. We come to Psalm 72, and there's a verse in it that struck me. Listen to verse 14. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Psalm 72 is a psalm of David, and he's praying that his son Solomon will be a righteous ruler. What does that look like? He would rescue the poor, defend their cause, deliver the children of the needy, crush the oppressor, and... He would pity the weak because precious is their blood in his sight. Now, yes, this psalm is in the first place for Solomon, and it ultimately points us to our Lord Jesus Christ. But I think it's entirely appropriate to pray for the leaders right now in our world using Psalm 72. God is the one who puts them in place to be his agents of righteousness, defending the weak. And we see this in Ukraine's President Zelensky, who is on the ground where his people's blood is being spilled, by a dictator who seems to be his polar opposite, the reclusive Vladimir Putin who's holed up somewhere as he continues to command his military to slaughter innocent people. I want to encourage you to pray with me as I use the words of Psalm 72, that God will raise up righteous rulers in Russia who will stay the hand of the oppressor, and that God will encourage leaders in Ukraine who might even die defending the freedom of their people and that God will grant wisdom to rulers throughout the world as they deliberate about this mess, and also for the pastors who are called to shepherd the flock of God in such a time as this. Please join me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you, the only God who does marvelous deeds. 
And we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, your son who came to earth and went to the cross and whose blood is precious in your sight because it secured for us an eternal salvation. And we come confessing our own sins to you, holy God, as we watch the missiles strike Ukraine, recognizing that they are not worse sinners than we are here in our own nation. We come and we beg that you will give us leaders in this world who are known for their love of justice, who will seek to do what is righteous in a time of war and bloodshed. May they instead bring shalom to the people whom you've given them charge to and the fruit of righteousness. Raise up leaders who will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May they crush the oppressors. May they in their actions be to the people like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. And may the righteous who serve them and serve them well flourish and prosper under their rule. And we pray that you allow your under shepherds to continue the work of ministry you've given them, that they may bring the life-giving gospel of grace to all of us in a dying world. And we pray that you'll strengthen and equip these pastors and evangelists that they might be faithful even unto death, not fearing those who can kill the body but not the soul, that they may receive the crown of life. And if it has not yet happened, Father, we pray that world leaders may be converted to do your will. May they bow the knee and kiss your son who rules from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. And may they present him gifts by the way in which they love their people. And may they remember and imitate our Lord Jesus, who has promised to deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help, who takes pity on the weak and needy and saves the needy from death, who rescues them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. May they allow the people the freedom to pray and bless our Lord Jesus, and may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun, so that all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. And Father, we pray that if they will not bow the knee, will you overrule the folly of these leaders' hearts, and even break them, Father, so that their wickedness will come to an end. We come to you confident because you are the God who raises up kings and brings them down and are working out all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your perfect purposes. And we close, Father, knowing that we live in a fallen world and we will never see the peace we desire until the day our loving Lord returns. But we ask that you will have mercy right now on the people of Ukraine. See the blood of your saints being spilled and remember them, Lord, have mercy. And may your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn our attention to tonight's State of the Union address which will happen at 9 p.m. tonight. You can see a feed on our Facebook group. Also, please write civil comments from 10 p.m. to midnight. I will read them as long as they are not inflammatory or obscene. Let's share some audio news from YouTube. Lisa, you've covered a lot of speeches like this and looked at how presidents in the past have used it as a platform. What's the significance of this tradition? Mm. That is such a wonderful question. Um, 
you know, this goes all the way back to the very foundations of this country. And when America was first set up, it wasn't clear how the president would communicate with the country. There had not been any kind of position like that. Usually kings issued dictates, decrees. Um, but here was a president who was, in fact, uh, beholden to the American people and to Congress itself. So, as you know, Congress uh, in the the president is required to, from time to time, address the nation and let Congress know um, his or her goals. And that tradition uh, became the annual State of the Union address. It has become, in the modern age of politics um, and in the television era, honestly, a very important moment for presidents to try and signal who they are and also to try and both firm up support with their own voters and win over voters from the other party. Um, it at times has been a chance for presidents to try and galvanize morale in this country, to try and push this country toward greater goals like the space race, or even to help the country through things like World War II. But in the modern era, it has been more political and we have honestly seen fewer of the lofty goals announced in State of the Unions become reality. Uh, that used to be the case, but now it has become a speech uh, that is more idealistic and political uh, than it had been before. At a time where galvanizing people is really hard, what does this moment mean for Biden? This is a critical moment, not just the speech, but this time frame right now, this next month, the next two months of his presidency. You cannot overstate how important they are. This is a president who was elected by a majority of the American people, um, but not a very large majority. And we have seen since he became president, especially beginning last summer, his approval ratings have dropped. He is now actually um, has a serious approval rating problem, not just in general, but on what was one of his best issues, the economy. Americans no longer trust him, according to our latest Maris poll. A majority of Americans uh, disapprove of the job he is doing on the economy. We also know that even though there are many issues facing the world and America right now, including Ukraine, um, that it is the economy and it is uh, a series of domestic issues that is most on American voters' minds. And this president was elected to unify the country, uh, kind of push an exhausted country, a country exhausted by politics, past that and to start getting things done. The American people don't seem to feel that he is getting the things done that they need. So it's a critical moment for him to show uh, that he understands what the American people's concerns are and that he actually can get back on a path toward healing. He is just over a year into a presidency that is filled with domestic and international issues. What do you think he's gonna focus on in this speech? Mm. The White House has been careful not to preview this address too much. On Friday, for example, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, I'm not going to preview a, an address that's four days away at that time um, during a developing war. So I think that the White House has been careful to not give us too much. And I think, in honest, in, uh, honestly, I believe the White House is still kind of balancing all of these goals itself. I do think we should look for um, some important domestic priorities, some things that some of the Democrats in Congress really want him to talk about because they believe that their jobs are on the line. Things perhaps like prescription drug prices, uh, things that are popular across the board. I think we should absolutely expect him to spend some time talking about uh, the items, the significant bills that were passed under, under him so far, the American Rescue Plan, 
billions of dollars going out under that act now across the country, counties spending that money. And of course, the Infrastructure Act, uh, that is something he will tout uh, all of the gains from. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some guests or some acknowledgements to very specific, specific bridges, specific stories of where that money has gone. Biden's agenda hit a lot of roadblocks this year, including Build Back Better and programs like universal pre-K and expanding healthcare. Why is he having so much trouble getting things done? First, I like the use of the word roadblock. Good transition from the infrastructure bill into the problems that he's having, the agenda items that are not going very far. You know, you could get into kind of all kind of complex, big picture reasons why these are hitting um, those roadblocks. But the truth is there are two U.S. senators that are the main problems. That's Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. They personally blocked uh, the idea of Build Back Better as it was forming in the Senate, because as many folks watching will know, you usually need 60 votes in the Senate. Democrats have exactly 50 right now. Joe Biden simply felt the Build Back Better bill was too large. Kirsten Sinema had problems with the way it dealt with taxes. And I have been amazed that there has been no pulse, no heartbeat for any of these ideas, which so many Democrats uh, believe are foundational to why they came to Congress, to Washington, uh, last year, I think it was just a, such a gut punch to them when uh, Senator Manchin in particular ended the Build Back Better talks last year that they haven't recovered. And President Biden hasn't figured out, hasn't made the decision really which of those priorities he wants to or feels he could successfully push for. We are still waiting uh, to figure that out. Meanwhile, now, of course, the White House um, has other problems, international problems, uh, that, are make, that will also make it more difficult to just get the time on the calendar in Congress to pass any of these big items. It also, you know, sort of reveals that the fact that two senators can have such an impact is that this is a very partisan Congress and very mm -hmm. partisan moment in American history. With that in mind, how do you think Democrats and Republicans are going to respond to Biden's remarks? I think that it will be a mixed review. I believe we will see the classic, many Democrats coming out saying, what a great president, we've done so much. Many Republicans coming out and saying, this is failed leadership, you know, this is a mistake, that's a mistake. Um, I, you know, I'm more interested to find those middle ground voices who might be able to say, I disagree with that, I agree with something else. Sad to say though, I think they will be few. I think we will get um, predictable, uh, responses depending on the party uh, that you identify with. The NewsHour's most recent poll with Marist and NPR found that 58% of Americans disapprove of how Biden is handling the economy right now. How do you think Biden will address that tonight? Oh, right. I think that is that really troubling number for him. Uh, I think we are going to hear him probably try to thread a difficult needle here um, last week, we heard him try to manage these expectations, especially with regard to um, the upheaval in Ukraine. And he told Americans, yes, we may see some pain from this, and we may see pain from this at the pump. Um, he wants Americans to be prepared for gas prices potentially to keep going up. And he said, and I think he will say again in the State of the Union, that we are doing this for a reason. We are supporting Ukraine for an important reason. It is about our values, it's about freedom. He has to convince Americans that that price they're personally feeling is worth it in the sense of American values. I expect to hear that. But at the same time, as he will acknowledge that there are um, 
economic issues in this country right now. I suspect he will also try to lay the case that they've been overblown and to try and say that he will probably talk a lot about all of the gains uh, since the coronavirus hit, everything his administration has done in terms of job growth, uh, where those job growths have hit. Some Democrats have criticized President Biden for not delivering on campaign promises. What are some of the issues voters who voted for him are going to want to hear him address or deal with that they haven't really felt have been fulfilled yet? Oh, boy, that's a long list, but it's a right question. I think one of those issues that is not getting enough attention um, mainstream, but which many of the president's supporters still care about and are still very concerned about is uh, sort of police reform, racial justice, especially in the justice system. Um, the talks to try and pass uh, federal police reform broke down last year. There really have been no serious efforts at trying to revive them. Uh, this was due to Republican and Democratic impasse. You know, but I wonder if President Biden um, will speak to that. That is something that I think is very core um, for many of his voters. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Oh, what a pleasure. Governor Kim Reynolds will hit the national stage next week. She'll give the Republican response to President Biden's State of the Union address. Yeah, Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy made the announcement earlier today. McConnell raised Reynolds for praised Reynolds rather for fighting COVID quote without targeting common sense. And McCarthy says she handled COVID by choosing freedom over lockdowns and personal responsibility over mandates. I was Republican leaders praising the decision. U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley says under Reynolds bold leadership, Iowa has smartly navigated the pandemic and economic fallout. Iowa Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitfer says Governor Reynolds is the best choice to illustrate the contrast between the failing destructive Biden agenda and the successful dynamic record of Iowa Republicans. Meanwhile, the chair of the Iowa Democratic Party says the only thing Kim Reynolds should be saying about President Biden and Democrats agenda is thank you since they delivered when she and her Republican colleagues in Congress have repeatedly failed. Well, the State of the Union is set to take place next Tuesday, March 1st. That'll be the latest any president has delivered a State of the Union. It's typically slated for January, maybe February, but a busy legislative calendar and a spike in COVID cases is to blame for the delay. President Biden's first State of the Union address follows a tradition that goes all the way back to George Washington. The Constitution dictates that the president has to deliver such an address, but it does not have to happen every year. But that's what has happened for decades. But why? Here's our why guy. It is all new this morning. What was once just a few words written for a limited audience is now an event that dominates our television screens once a year. The president's State of the Union address has gone from short and informal to long and ceremonial. Over time, it's, it's turned into a tradition. It's become its own institution. We haven't always called it the State of the Union, and not every president has delivered one. Let's explore why it's become an annual event. There's nothing demanding that the State of the Union take place once a year. The U.S. Constitution says from time to time, the president should give Congress information and recommend measures he shall judge necessary. Early on, the president didn't appear before Congress in person. They simply sent a letter 
uh, I think a couple of presidents sent a telegram. <laughs> um, you know, it's taken different shapes and formats over time. According to historians with the U.S. House of Representatives, it was initially known as the annual message and was a way to address budget and economic issues. Kennesaw State University political science professor Kerwin Swint says the State of the Union evolved into an opportunity for the president to inform Congress of his priorities for the coming year. Radio and television changed everything. When it became a media event, uh, it became a mass communication event to really, you know, uh, communicate and get the message out and, uh, you know, have that free airtime. According to the House of Representatives, President Bill Clinton's one hour and 25 minute address in 1995 is the longest spoken State of the Union. Presidents William Henry Harrison and James Garfield are the only two who never delivered a State of the Union in writing or in person. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend, 2022-2023.